Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Welcome uh, again to this special edition of Mornings with Carmen on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. This is hour two. Um, We want to let you know that this is a recorded show and we'll be back with you live tomorrow morning. But we have some things to say about this um, particular day and in particular, our brother in Christ, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, And I wanted to highlight today a few of his I Have a Dream um, speech lines from his speech and just the whole idea that, you know, he was a person who not only had a dream, but delivered the speech that is rated by um, speech writers as the most important speech of the 20th century. I mean, that's pretty um, extraordinary. If you think about all the things that were said in the 20th century, the I Have a Dream speech is considered um, by scholars to be number one on the list. So what was it that Martin Luther King Jr. was dreaming Um, before a watching world in that speech. I have a dream this afternoon that my four little children will not come up in in the same young days that I came up within, but that they will be judged on the basis of the content of their character, not the color of their skin. So if we were to grade ourselves today, are we judging one another on the basis of the content of our character, or are we judging one another based on the color of our skin? And you give, your, give yourself a grade on that. And give yourself, give, give our culture a grade on that. And ask yourself how much progress we've made, um, how much confession there is still to make, how much work there is still to do. Um, but that was actually not the only dream that Martin Luther King um, shared in that speech Um, during the March on Washington for Freedom and Jobs in August of 1963. Um, Two months before he addressed the crowd of nearly 250,000 in D.C., he shared many of the same words in a speech in Detroit. And, um, And so I think it's important for us to recognize that the dreams articulated by Martin Luther King Jr. included a number of dreams He had a dream that the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners would be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. How's that going? I actually think that, um, yeah, I I think um, that's pretty good. Depending on where you live, um, there's lots of people of all races that integrate very, very freely, um, that serve together in all kinds of environments, who work together side by side, who labor alongside one another in a myriad ways, who play together, who think together, who pray together, even though um, Sunday morning is still one of the most segregated hours in America. But I think that on on the point of being able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood or the table of fellowship, yeah, I think we've made good progress on that one. How about Mississippi being an oasis of freedom and justice? (laughs) Well, that might be one um, that the people of Mississippi could best answer. He wanted to um, 
uh, live in a world where children, both black and white, both boys and girls, would be able to join hands as sisters and brothers. Yeah, I think that's going um, pretty well. He had Alabama specifically in mind there, but I think that not only in Alabama, but in in other places, um, we see that. We see the ability to physically touch one another and hold hands and um, in, embrace one another across our differences. And then um, this one, he said um, he had a dream that everyone of all skin colors um, would um, would see glory together as one. Hmm. Hmm. What does that look like and what does that mean? Are we one? One in the spirit, one in the Lord. I think that would be a question MLK would have um, standing still before us as a dream today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Fundamental is joining us this morning. We're going to reflect together on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. It's great to be with you as always, Carmen. Love talking to you. Oh, likewise. So one of the things that I appreciate that you have written about is this Martin Luther King report card. What would it look like to give us uh, a report card on the topic of justice? Well, I, I think we've, uh, first of all, not done too well in this last round of, um, you know, problems. We, I mean, we have racism issues in our country. We have a lot of problems with division and the way people are trying to solve problems. And I think it's good that there's always attention on how can we do better? How can we love one another? And what I love about Martin Luther King Jr.'s message is it's all about love. And it's all mm. about how we approach people in a nonviolent way. And, you know, considering his life, uh, Carmen, he was jailed 29 times. He uh, had 13 death threats against him. And then eventually, obviously, one was successful. But he just kept moving forward. And he he believed that you keep trying to move forward with people. But the way that that really happens to really change things is a change of heart. And he knew, like we know, that that change of heart comes from a relationship with Christ. And it's only through Christ that your heart can be changed to one that wants to love even your enemies, which was part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus talked about. So as we look back a little bit on the last few years and how have we reacted, I, I've been, I was so surprised during all the protests and the riots that his name came up very infrequently. And I was not hearing a call back to what was so powerful and I think so effective, at least at that part of our history of civil rights and trying to move the ball forward to reconciliation. Um, I didn't hear his name a lot and I didn't hear the spiritual uh, approach to changing a heart, transforming a heart, loving one another and allowing, as the scripture says, to keep our conduct honorable uh, in front of men. I saw a lot of really awful messages on social media and things that were not reflective of a heart that is trying to love versus a heart that's trying to hate. I wonder if that has something to do with 
a sense of where power comes from and where power resides and how much power there is in love or how much power it feels like there is in hate. I mean, I'm I'm sensing that maybe generationally that's a part of that conversation. Um, but one of the things that you do such a nice uh, job with is taking us into the scriptures and helping us find guidance in the Bible in this conversation, uh, you know, as we seek to be people who choose love and not hate. Can you just illuminate or lift up some of those passages of Scripture for us? Well, one of them that, that I just mentioned was the one in First Peter 2.12, which tells us to keep our conduct honorable. So no matter what we do, mm. um, the way we treat each other is going to be so important in the process because we have to treat each other with respect, whether we don't like the way a person thinks or we don't like the way they act. We don't like their politics, as we've seen a lot of this in the, the culture as of late. We still have to keep our our conduct responsible. And then I think the one that really challenges me, and it was actually the verse that my kids had in their in their uh, Christian school when they were attending uh, grade school and, and uh, high school, was their scripture, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to your sight, O Lord, my rock mm. and my redeemer. And as we speak to one another, as we think about the meditations of our heart, what are we thinking on? Are we thinking about that guy just really irritates me or that person treated me unfairly. That person needs to get his. And and honestly, there's so much of revenge and go after the person, give them their due, all of that in the culture. If we're meditating on those other ways to deal with people, it's going to take us down a bad path. And so Jesus knew that we had to look into our hearts deeply and we have to say what's in there. And if I have any type of any type of sin that is, you know, in my heart, please, Lord, examine my heart and help me to forgive those people who have hurt me so deeply. We're not to keep bitterness in our heart. Scripture is very clear about that, that that root of bitterness will not take you to a good place. And so we need to let go of this idea of revenge. And I can just think of so many scripture, you know, where this, where the Lord says the revenge is mine and it's mm. not up to us to sort of even the slate when we've been injured. In fact, when we do that, our, our brain starts getting activated in very negative ways and it doesn't go well. So there's just so many scriptures about how we're supposed to act. I think the Sermon on the Mount is really the key here. And that is what I think drove Martin Luther King Jr. with love your enemies, love your enemies. How do you love? It's impossible to love an enemy unless God transforms your heart. So I'm reading um, here at drlindamental.com. If you go to the blog there, we're reading MLK's report card for us today. And one of the things um, highlighted there is this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Do you want to see your enemies transformed into friends today? What does that look like? What does taming your tongue have to do with all of that? Um, what does uh, operating in the opposite spirit and actually keeping our conduct honorable, what does it look like to seek to please God and to live in ways that are pleasing in the sight of God, regardless of how we are pleasing people around us? All of those good considerations on this MLK Day. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Lift every voice. 
Continuing our conversation now with Dr. Linda Mental, you can find her at drlindamental.com. She's the relationship doctor. Um, all right, Doc, help us on this MLK Day. Help us stop hate. Help us stop hating and help us stop hate. Well, one of the things we need to think about, and I think about these kinds of things all the time, most people don't, but I think about what's going on in the brain and Mm -hmm. how do we, how does the brain, when we focus on hate, what happens? And it's really interesting because when you have, when you have love, which is the opposite of hate, your brain really functions in a very different way. It deactivates sort of all this judgment and, you know, reasoning. That's why we say when people are in love, Carmen, they get kind of stupid because they just like, oh, he's wonderful. He's great. Things are, (laughs) things are are perfect. You know, we have this sort of acceptance and we try to see the person in a very good light, as opposed to when somebody is in hate, there is a heightened part of your brain that that is, is judgment. It actually activates regions in the brain associated with aggression. And then mm-hmm. there is this motor part of your brain that takes and moves that hate into sort of an active active state so that you're actually focusing on your planning, your thinking, your calculating. And a lot of times people then start to ruminate about the hate, which just revs up your emotions, makes you feel even more um, hateful. And then you move into action as a result of that. So we have to think about what we're doing when we have that reaction. Now, I've heard many people say, and I know it's hard to love your enemies. It's just so counter the way that we're sort of human nature is. But Again, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it changes the the game plan here. But I, I I've had people say, "There's no way this person has deeply hurt me. This person, you know, I've I've had discrimination and prejudice and all these things." And I take them back to Saul in the Bible, and I say, "Look at this guy. I mean, this guy was terrorizing Christians and persecuting them and killing them, and then he's chosen." By Jesus, I mean, by God, he's chosen by God to, you know, be one of the apostles. And I'm thinking, then he has this massive heart change and he's out there, but he's constantly humble about the way he treated people. And he's very, I think when you, when you read Paul in the scripture, you see that he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. I was the person who was doing all this persecution and all these terrible things to people. And yet look what God did for me. And as a result of that, he's dedicated his life to, you know, showing the love of God to all the people that he encounters. So we need to understand and pray for people who are hateful and revengeful and and want to come against us and i and the church needs to be praying for those people um and saying god you can change their heart you can do it but if 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 they don't change and you're dealing with those people then you are responsible for your reactions to them and that's where the power of the holy spirit comes into us because it's only through that power that we can forgive people, that we can let go of that bitterness like we talked about, that we can open up our hearts to love and start connecting with people, getting to know them, building relationships. And I think in the long run, that's really what makes a difference with people is when you get to know people and you you have a relationship with them, you start to see them in a very different light. Paul is a really good, or Saul and then Paul, is just a really good person and an experience of a disciple to look at and examine on this question. Because not only did he participate in 
stir up violence against uh, Mm -hmm. Christians. But then he has to go before these other Christians and make an appeal. I mean, you know, once he becomes right, I mean, he has this literal change of heart and um, and he becomes a Jesus guy. And those other Jesus guys have to accept that. Like there is a like I'm just saying, like, he's a really good lesson. And then I think his um, his letter um, related to Philemon is a really wonderful one to examine um, on the question of race and racial relations and um, and all kinds of tensions that we experience as Christians from different, you know, socioeconomic or even ethnic groups. So, so much there when we start tilling the soil of the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Can you imagine the first time he goes in front of the Christians and no. uh, they're like, wait a minute, this is the guy. It would be like having bin Laden walk into your room or, you know, somebody that has uh, terrorized people or has been your your worst enemy. Uh, and they walk into your room and they go, hey, <laughs> you know, Jesus become, is in yeah. my heart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this yeah. is who I am now. And I, it had to be. I've always I've thought about that so many times. Like, what would I have been like? I would have been very skeptical of the guy and very cynical at the beginning. Right. But he 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 proves himself that the change is really transformative. And boy, that is the message that needs to get into our culture today. If we're looking at race relations problems, and and definitely there is, you know, we do have issues with racism in America. But what is the solution? The solution is going to be a transformed heart of people. And I don't hear that in any circles that I function in. I don't hear people talking about a spiritual solution to a problem that really has at its root sin. And that is the only way we're going to make a difference in America. So the church needs to start praying. The church needs to start behaving in the way that we are we are asked to behave honorably, respecting others, understanding that everybody is made in the image of God. These are God's children that have not been redeemed, and we need to pray for their salvation and a change of heart. So I don't know how we spread that more, but I'm trying in terms of when I have any conversations with people, you know, I'll, I'll say it's going to take a change of heart. And the only way to do that really is through uh, the Holy Spirit working in your life. And that same spirit, the same spirit that overwhelmed and overcame and then indwelled the Apostle Paul, that same spirit, the spirit of Christ, is operating in every believer today. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the same spirit that animated the life of Paul is in you, the same spirit. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 2 Corinthians 4, the same spirit, the one and same spirit is working all these things. I think that if we could be mindful, more mindful of that, Linda, if I could, as I encounter people, um, particularly those who claim to be Christians who are different from me in every other way, like if I could be Mm -hmm. mindful that the same spirit that animated the life of Paul, the same spirit, the, the spirit of the living Lord, the spirit of Christ is is dwelling inside of this other individual and is dwelling inside of me, then what we have in common supersedes everything that we that's different about us. Right. And I think that was Martin Luther King Jr.'s message. Open your heart to love. Just open mm-hmm. it up and ask the Lord to do a work inside of you where you can love those people. It is possible. I've had moments where I have felt like I have loved an enemy and I walk out of a meeting or something and I go, oh, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit in me doing the work. And you could you could really 
feel that difference in terms of how the Holy Spirit works in your life. So just open up your heart and and don't be a part of the negative conversations. Don't engage with people who are revving up the, you know, the the rhetoric and and saying terrible things. Be the person who shows love and shows mm-hmm. grace and shows mercy to other people. And let's see what a difference that could make just in your words alone. That's so good. You've got another um, uh, blog posted on Martin Luther King Jr. and overcoming depression. We don't have time to dig deeply into it, but I definitely want you to um, share uh, the thesis of it with um, our listeners because it is it is such a hope filled piece. Yeah, it was so it was surprising to me. Actually, I found this in a Time magazine article um, from the 60s in which they talked about Martin Luther King Jr. apparently suffered from depression, and he had a suicide attempt uh, before the age of 13. Apparently, his grandmother was uh, was very ill, and then she died, and he felt that loss very deeply. And so he struggled with some deep lows and some intense highs in his life and had a lot happen to him, as we, we've already talked about with being, you know, imprisoned and da- jail sentences because of his peaceful protests, really. That's that was the crux of it. But his message was just keep moving forward. And um, I don't remember the quote because it's not in front of me, but it was about learning just to crawl. If you can't start anywhere, just start somewhere and start to crawl and then eventually walk and then eventually you will run. And that was his message. Keep moving moving forward. Um, and he, and unfortunately, Carmen, he didn't get treatment because he was so worried that at the time there was, there is, there still is a stigma against mental health, but there really was then he was worried that if he, he acknowledged it, then people would use that against him. So, hmm. you know, use his story, know that you can get help and treatment for depression, but his message is keep moving forward. Just take it a step at a time, crawl, then walk, then run. It's a great message. Here's the quote. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Um, That's the message of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Dr. Linda Mental, thank you so much for bringing it forward to us today um, as a word of encouragement. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Dr. Linda Mental. You can hear her show here on the Faith Radio Network. You can find the blogs we discussed today and all kinds of other resources at drlindamental.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. The children of MLK's day were facing struggles and battles, and we are facing struggles and battles today. Let's talk with Jeff Peabody about being perfectly suited. Let's explore the armor of God through the lens of personal struggle, and let's see if we can um, find strength in this ancient metaphor for God's care today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. When you think about the armor of God, do you want to explain it or do you want to wear it? That is a conversation we're going to have with Pastor J.D. Peabody. The book is Perfectly Suited, The Armor of God for an Anxious Mind. J.D., welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me on. 
So I think as a entry point into this conversation and, you know, as a way of letting you, you know, tell your own story, let's start with Leo, because Leo uh-huh. is the dog next door, but Leo is also what you came to call your own brain. Yeah, you know, uh, our our dog next door is a Doberman Pinscher, and we we saw our neighbors get him as a little puppy, and uh, you know he's he's known us for years, and yet every time we go in and out of the house, he will bark uh, as if we are the most dangerous intruder ever, and uh, so we just kind of say hi, Leo, and and ignore him and and go on with life. Yeah, so I I've named my my brain Leo in his honor because it tends to yap at me and get all alarmed over things that are not really a threat but create a lot of anxiety for me and so that's how I've named my brain because of that. Talk with us about anxiety. I'm going to just read a little excerpt here from page 14. This is where you're talking a little bit about your discovery of your own obsessive compulsive Mm. disorder. I found my mind suddenly bombarded by a barrage of disturbing ideas and images that sent me into a tailspin. My mind raised the alarm at these thoughts uh, that felt threatening and unstoppable, felt threatening and unstoppable, even when their only real power lay in my fear of them. When you talk very candidly in this book about your own experience of like, you know, like the way your mind works I want to ask you, like, as a pastor, as a person involved in the Christian community, the first time you said this out loud to somebody else, like, was that in and of itself scary? Because I, I mean, we're talking all the time about the need for there to be, you know, more honesty about all of the mental health challenges that we face, but then also just this strange, weird condemnation there is of that within the Christian family. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because there is this very odd dynamic that comes in. You know, we come to Christ as our Savior because we recognize that we have need. uh, And then it feels like uh, immediately we kind of have this little switch that flips or something where we start to think about how what's happening in our lives as a reflection on our faith. And so if we're experiencing something really stressful or uh, we're going through a lot of anxiety, uh, we we somehow feel like that's a mark of we're not, we don't have enough faith or we're not a good Christian if we're experiencing something. And so we we go into this mode of performance for for each other. And uh, yeah, so there there was certainly that that element for me as well. You know, I, when I think back to the beginning. I, I was so bewildered when it, I, I told people it felt like my brain broke. It just all of a sudden uh, was was it spinning out of control. And I, I went on a walk with a friend of mine who also happens to be a therapist. And I'm just like blubbering. And it's very uncharacteristic of me. I'm, I, you know, I've always been somebody who's pretty out of touch with my feelings, actually. And uh so I'm I'm going along and I get to the end of the conversation and you know and I'm I'm cracked wide open at this point and and I get to the end and I I'm like I am not an anxious person and he looked at me and he laughed and that was the last uh the last reaction I was hoping for in that moment but it was so exactly what I needed because it kind of pulled me up short and made me realize wow I don't I don't really uh, see myself with as much clarity as I think. And, and it's obvious to other people that I'm, I'm carrying around this 
anxiety. So that was that was really some of my first uh, opening up. I had I had shared a bit with my wife and and some family members about what was going on. But really, that was kind of my my first introduction was to be met with a laugh. But then, uh, you know, moving on to actually talking with the congregation about what was going on for me mm-hmm. proved to be the complete opposite of what I expected in terms of, you know, it was it was very uh, felt incredibly vulnerable to to uh, share with them and and uh, just felt so exposed. And like I, I just, you know, you always feel like when you're the person who's up front, who's supposed to provide answers and the comfort for other people uh like there's you just create this kind of pressure on yourself but actually when i finally got to that point of talking to the congregation it ended up being the very these the sermon where i i've had more people respond that connecting with it saying you know oh me too you know or thank you for sharing that because wow i can really relate to that and and so it was really this vulnerability proved to be the kind of the way forward. Yeah, it's really, um, that is a real gift. This is a book that does, you know, like grow out of a series of Sunday morning messages. But um, as you're, as you're considering what um, JD offers us in Perfectly Suited, I want you to consider that it's an invitation, not just to know about or have an explanation of the armor of God, but what it really looks like to wear it. And so we're going to continue our conversation with J.D. Peabody. The book is perfectly suited, and we're going to get ourselves into Ephesians chapter 6. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Pastor J.D. Peabody, the book is Perfectly Suited. You can find J.D. and uh, and the book information at jdpeabody.com. Perfectly Suited, the armor of God for an anxious mind. Um, J.D., talk with us about um, maybe your, your understanding or approach to discipleship prior to this kind of new way of thinking not only about yourself, but yourself as a disciple of Jesus and certainly, mm. um, you know, the role of, of of a changing view of Ephesians chapter six um, as a part of all of that. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a in a Christian home, very familiar with um, the concept of the the armor of God. Uh, and and it was always really seen to me as uh something that the emphasis was always on picking it up and putting it on uh the 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 responsibility was on me uh every time to to grab it and use it and uh and and i realized that um that that was really shifting the focus of the whole thing you know here here it is god's offering us this protection and and i'm flipping it around in my mind to where really my protection is me doing something for myself, you know, uh, of being the one in charge of this picking it up. And it was interesting to, to go back to the language there in Ephesians six and realize that, 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 uh, the word there for, for putting it on is, is really, uh, could be translated as to sink into, um, which has so much more of a, uh, I don't know. It's like you sink into a big couch or something where there's mm-hmm. there's not a lot of effort in that. It's more entering into what is being given 
to you. And I, I think so often for me, as I've thought about discipleship in general, um, you know, I, I think I largely have this idea that as we are maturing in faith, that that somehow we we uh, we start with the cross and then we we kind of uh, move away from our need for it and that the goal was to become, you know, uh, at, uh, less less dependent, I guess, on that when in fact it's actually the reverse that the the deeper we're growing in our faith, the more we are conscious and aware of our our need for the cross. So instead of outgrowing grace, you know, scripture says we we grow in grace. And so uh, I think it was a, a flip to go, oh, um, it's not the cross in the rear view mirror. It's a cross cross before me, you know, that I'm 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 getting closer to it and and becoming um just more more conscious of my ever ongoing need for for Jesus. I want you to um talk with us about Karen and her role in all of this. Um mm-hmm. one of the things you say about her is uh, my wife became the person God used most often to wrap up his truth for me uh in my bleakest moments. Um mm-hmm. talk talk about um I I feel like um in in much of this, she really serves as your armor bearer. Hmm. Yeah, that has been um, so absolutely true. Uh, that, uh, yeah, I I think she became the uh, embodiment for me of of grace and what it what it looked like. Because when when I was so just completely. Uh, scared of my own brain actually um she she would tell me over and over again i i'm not afraid of your thoughts mm. uh, i know who you are i know who you are and um mm. and it was it was just such a relief to me and such a a picture of of god not being alarmed by the same things that alarm us and um and it was it was just um it it really deepened my um my comprehension of god's love for us to be felt so so tangibly through um someone so close so uh yeah i get emotional just even thinking about it uh today and and talking about it because um it just was so profound of a gift um and uh so uh yeah, be beyond um, anything anything I could have asked for. So yeah, she she's been incredibly important in this process. Um, so uh, you may not have read them yet, but um, the Wing Feather series by Andrew Peterson um, came to mind in this uh, in this rem- being having a person who reminds us of who we are and mm-hmm. reminds us. Um, even of our name, and it calls us by name, and um, mm. that is a this this theme that um, emerges in this series of books. It's really written for children, um, mm. kind of. Uh, and then, and I'm reminded of that because um, it, there are these ways in which the world and the enemy's use of the things in the world um, create these layers where we forget who we are as the children mm. of God, and um, and as people. Um, possessed of his spirit and those kinds of things. And um, so anyway, I just, um, 
I'm hearing I'm hearing this over and over and over in different ways in the culture. Mm-hmm. And so I'm appreciating that you're bringing it um, forward as well. We're talking with J.D. Peabody. The book is perfectly suited. Um, we're talking about how you sink into and live in the reality of the armor that God provides. It's God's armor, not our own. It is the armor of God for an anxious mind. Um, J.D., when you think about the specific uh, pieces of the armor of God, is there one you want to highlight? Because that's you know much of what you do mm. in the book. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, um, I have a lot of affection for the helmet of salvation. Um, I, I guess mostly because uh, all everything I've been talking about is about what's mm-hmm. been going on in my brain. And, and so it kind of took on new dimensions for me. Um, you know, I, I think, I think back to, um, a time when my oldest son was in middle school and, uh, he really wanted to go snor- snowboarding. And so I took him up for, for lessons. Uh, we live in Washington state, so there's a lot of mountains here. And, um, and you know, it was, it's kind of laughable that I did that because I, I'm like the least athletic person. Uh, but we did it. We went on the the bunny hills and then we, uh, you know, headed up to the actual slope and and we're going down and I'm just sort of, uh, you know, faking my way down the hill. And and we get to the the last run of the day and I knew my legs were given out, but I, I decided I'd go for it anyway. And I just had the most spectacular <laughs> spill that was really end over end right under the right under the. Um, chairlift so everybody could see it uh and you know i'm sure i got a concussion because i i had a headache for a month after that but uh, i was wearing a helmet and um you know the helmet the helmet really preserved me through that Mm -hmm. and and i go you know the the helmet's job wasn't to uh, prevent the fall and it wasn't to make me a better snowboarder i was it was there to to guard my life. And I think sometimes when we think about uh, the armor of God, we think that it's there to, to stop the fight or to uh, make us, you know, uh, these incredibly uh, strong Christians. And I think really it's, it's more about preservation. Um, And, uh, and, and I think the other thing about the, the helmet in particular that, that really uh, hit home to me was, um, you know, I thought about the you've you've seen like uh, people who have been through brain surgery or or soldiers who have have had traumatic brain injuries that that then their their doctors will will uh, put them in a in a helmet as their as their head recovers. And I thought, you know, the the helmet of salvation isn't just for uh, the attacks that are coming at us. It's it's for our already wounded minds. Um and 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 we can we can trust that that Christ Himself is is there to uh, to hold us and and keep us safe. And so um, yeah, so I think when I when I had all this uh, intense uh, affliction happening in my in my brain, it was just so reassuring to go. Oh, the the helmet of salvation is big enough for this too. Hmm. I love that. I really appreciate that. J.D., thank you so much um, for joining us today. Thank you for the book. Thank you for your vulnerability. Um, thank you for your faithfulness. Um, and tell Karen that we are deeply appreciative of um, 
of her role, her partnership um, in life, and the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that the two of you enjoy together. So it's quite a testimony and witness. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be here and to talk about this because I know so many people are uh, really, you know, suffering and, and struggling uh, far beyond my own experience. And, and just to be able to say uh, to them, you know, you're not alone in it. And, uh, and I, I hope it can be a, a comfort and encouragement to other people. Yeah. Amen. J.D. Peabody is the author. The book is Perfectly Suited, The Armor of God for an Anxious Mind. If uh, if fear, anxiety, or critical voices in your head are overwhelming you, this is a, um, this is a wonderful book for you and for those in your life who are dealing with anxiety. Perfectly Suited. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thank you again for spending time with me on this Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. I hope today you'll give some thought to dreaming impossible dreams um, and, and actually maybe articulating those and asking others, hey, you know, MLK had really big dreams. They seemed impossible at the time, but we've actually lived into a lot of them. There's still certainly um, places we have yet to go in terms of um, fully living into MLK's vision for uh, a society where everyone is judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Um, And so maybe have that be a practice today as well. Intentionally focus on the image bearers around you and just recognize that each one is equal and precious in the eyes of God. Maybe that would be a way that we could bring the dream of MLK more into focus today, simply by seeing one another as fully the image bearers of the living God. Um, That might be a good practice for today as we consider what are the impossible dreams that we're dreaming now um, for future generations. Uh, You can visit us online at MyFaithRadio.com. Sign up there for uh, the Growing Your Faith verse of the day and lots of other resources that are available. And you can get today's show notes uh, as well. You should be subscribed to the Mornings with Carmen podcast, and that way you get the show notes each and every day. Hey, on this MLK Day, let me encourage you to Um, love well. Go to the love well and then go out there and love well. Make the peace of Christ manifest in the generation in which we live. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.